Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Talking about chicken a la king, mango and garbanzo tabbouleh, real potatoes and vegetables, with roasted garlic and basil, zucchini ziti, granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Hello, I'm Dan Dude, and welcome to Green Eggs and Dan. Like many of you, I'm stuck at home during this pandemic, eating and drinking my face off. And so are most of my guests. So that leaves me with a laptop from 2012. Thank you for dealing with my glitches and all that. My own mic and me alone in a room, hoping my guests are able to record their half of the conversation. Um, we all have glitches. So bear with us. Um, yeah. Okay. Look at all this Guys, welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today, oh boy, sure, he's the creator, writer, executive producer of Everybody Loves Raymond, which has been dubbed or subtitled in 148 countries, whatever. We don't care about that today. Today, we care about the fact that he is the host and creator of my new favorite food travel show, Somebody Feed Phil. Please welcome... Sure, one of my comedy gods, but quickly becoming one of my favorite food gods, Phil Rosenthal. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Very excited to have you here. You guys can see Phil's fridge on my Instagram at StandUpDan. I'm going to share the screen here so we can go through it. Phil, I, I always tell people you don't need to stage your fridge. And I don't know if your fridge always looks like this, but it looks so perfectly organized, very well staged. Did you stage this? Don't lie. No, my wife, though, cares deeply about clutter and too much. And is this food still good? And you got to get rid of this. This What you're seeing is a lot of leftovers from everywhere we order from. I order out almost every day because, number one, I'm trying to support the restaurant industry. Uh, locally, and I uh, love it. That's the other reason. I absolutely love it. I, I think so if we can't travel, we can't go out, right? Yeah. You know, the world can come to you. We're so blessed in Los Angeles to have such a diverse population, and that means a diverse culinary scene, right? Absolutely. So your odds of hitting it big at dinner are really good because we have more people in Los Angeles from different parts of the world than any other place. Yes, sir. So we get we get the benefit of, you know, lots and lots of choices and lots and lots of talent. Don't you find, Dan, that uh, the takeout game has really been elevated since Absolutely. people can't have a restaurant and what used to be a side business, a takeout and delivery, is now the business. And so I, I'm so proud of everybody for really upping their game. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like before all this, uh, the pandemic stuff, I feel like Sugarfish was the only one that had a real beautiful curated uh, takeout game. And right. now it seems like everyone is following their lead and making really 
cool little boxes and you know the way that it's uh, they, they put a lot of thought in the presentation and it's pretty awesome i think everything from pizza to to you know the big heavy hitters even like providence and the val and bestia and moza all phenomenal just phenomenal like we, my son said this is one of the best meals i've ever had in my life and we were sitting at the kitchen table eating out of the you know containers from takeout which I don't know if that just says little about uh, you and your yeah. wife's cooking uh, <laughs> acumen. We are not chefs. I am not a chef. I don't have the time or the temperament, the patience. I'm just not. But chefs seem to like me because I love them. I mean, it comes off very authentically in the show. We'll get to the show in a second. I want to go back to the fridge here. So yep. you have you have a bottle of sake here. I, I feel like, is that yeah. a bottle of sake in the bottom there? Exactly right. Yeah. Are you a big sake drinker? When when I'm eating sushi, I am. It's the yeah. best. You have so many jars. You're you guys are such a jar family. I love it. A lot of pickles, a lot of pickles. olives. I love sauerkraut. I love the booby sauerkraut. They came out with a spicy sauerkraut where they put some red peppers in with the with the and and that's like my favorite thing on hot dogs. I mean, you have a lot. Your hot sauce drawer is like. It's you have a whole hot sauce drawer. This is why. Yeah. Uh, my 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 brother used to call my mom's house. You know where we grew up. We didn't have any real food in the house, but we were the house of condiments. We always had <laughs> a million, and no hot sauce. No, none. None. It doesn't. It doesn't really. And and ketchupy things like like really not great stuff. But you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a hot sauce fan. I'm a mustard fan. I'm a I'm a barbecue sauce fan. I'm an everything sauce. I love sauce, and it's I mean, the cuisine of the world is sauce, isn't it? I, it? The whole the whole world cuisine is about taking maybe less than stellar or first rate ingredients and adding a sauce that not only make them palatable but make them delicious. Absolutely, I like any food that makes your eyes bug out. And so when you eat spicy foods, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Top shelf in the fridge. Okay. Pink, that's it. Pink top on a can. That's for Murray the dog. Oh, really? <laughs> that's his dog food. Yeah. We share the, we share the fridge. Wow, all. the dog? You don't even share it. The dog gets top shelf. Ah, he's a top shelf dog. Wow. Uh, you see a lot of the containers, all the containers, that's all takeout leftovers. Where are you ordering from mostly right now? What was last night? Oh, last night we got Spoon by H. Have you done that? I have done that. And I don't know if we're going to get along here because I didn't love it. Uh, did you do the Monday night thing? No. What's the Monday night thing? She does like a beautiful bento box. Oh, okay. I had the soup. I had one of the soups when I went there. And I don't know. I always, I always compare. I, maybe this is me. Maybe this is wrong of me, but I... I feel like Japanese soups uh, have Korean soups beat. Like for me, a ramen will, I, I'll, I'll take a ramen over a, a Korean noodles or, or even pho any, any day. Yes. Tell me that I'm wrong. Although that pho that you had in Vietnam in your show looked insane with the beef fat. I'm very lucky. I get to taste a lot of great stuff. And I like almost everything. People look at the show and they just say, it looks like you like everything. And most of the time that's true. But here's the other truth. If I don't like it, I'm not putting it in the show. Mm. Like, what kind of show would that be? Hey, try this. You flew all the way here. Hey, put this in your mouth. Okay, what do you think? Eh, it's all right. <laughs> I'm not showing you that. 
I'm Interesting. Sure my main goal is to get you to travel. So I want to show you the best stuff, all the good stuff. So I'm not acting. I really, really do like this stuff. We filmed for a week. You're seeing less than an hour. So I'm showing you the highlights. The highlight. Yeah. And it's so, that's, your show is so important right now because it's like, I feel like before we used to watch it and be like, oh, I want to go to that place. Like I, I would watch your show and by the end, I'd be like on kayak looking at boarding passes. Um, I had n- I never had a desire to go to Ireland, for example, and I was like, "Oh my God, I got to get to Ireland." This and- is get, I, you know, I can't. I, you know, Italy's my absolute favorite because I just feel like it's part of me. I feel like maybe in another life I was Italian or something. It just feels like another home to me, and it kind of has for me everything I love, which is gorgeous scenery, incredible food, and everyone's hugging and kissing you. So mm. that's like. For me, that's that's. But I've absolutely loved everywhere I've been. There's not a clinker in the bunch so far. I also love the place. Like I love that you went to Modena in your Italy episode, in the Venice episode, because yes. Modena is one of my favorite places, and it's kind of an unsung hero. I mean, until you know Massimo came in and, and put it on the map. But just even even taking Massimo out, it is yes. aesthetically one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been to. It is kind of a, a beautiful, quiet town, it feels like. with every, It seems so livable, doesn't it? Absolutely. We were there only three nights, but it just, we fell in love with it. It just seemed like this dream center to, to you know, to base your vacation from. If you're going to, let's say you're going to live in Italy for a year, you choose that place, right? Because it has everything you want about Italy this kind of small town feel and yet enough to do and and enough restaurants and places to go. And it's like central. So you can shoot out from there to everywhere else. Interesting. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I love it there. I can't wait to go back, but I was saying, I think your show is so almost more important now because it's not, it's less of like, where am I going to go next? It's like, I need to live vicariously through someone because I can't go anywhere. And so it's it's almost like we're putting on our virtual our VR glasses now and going it, to a place. Well, here's what I've been saying, and I mean this. I understand living virtually through me, and I understand that you might even be a little melancholy watching for the world that you can't visit right now. Mm-hmm. But the key phrase there is right now. So use this time that we have to plan a vacation because guess what? This is going to end. None of us are thinking like that. Right. Because we're in the middle of a kind of a tragedy. So we were not kind of, it is a tragedy with all the loss of life and everything else. And it's a horrible time, but, and I'm speaking as an authority, this will end. Why am I an authority? Only because of the evidence that it's ended every other time. People, the, the greatest benefit for me from doing the show is hearing from people on my Instagram DM or my Twitter comments or my Facebook comments, people writing and saying, we went to Lisbon because of you and we ate at that place. Look, here's a picture of us at the same place. Nothing gives me greater joy. I love it. That's why you do what you do. We love nothing more than turning people on to stuff we like, right? I, I, I agree 100%. And I'm always, I'm, I'm curious if I'm onto something here because my Ashkenazi Jewish friends are either the biggest foodies I know or they're super picky about food. And I'm curious if it has to do with the fact that they normally, they usually grew up in households that had a, a lack of flavor 
And so either they fell into that camp or they were like, I need to get away. It seems it like either way. Yes. Yeah. But how about this? So I grew up in, in that type of house, no flavor <laughs> and uh, meat was a punishment. And I, I go now I get to meet these great chefs and like Alice Waters tells me her mother was a terrible cook. And it wasn't until she went to France when she was maybe early twenties, even late teens, even. And her mind exploded right from when she had the fresh food. And then she came back. It's like, for me, when I, when I went, I didn't have, I, yes, I had that experience too. When I, when I went to Europe in my early twenties, but even before that, when I went, just left the house, when I went to college and I was eating some crappy pasta with some friends as a freshman at Hofstra university on Long Island. And I was like, Oh my God, this is delicious. They said, what? It's <laughs> like $3 pasta. I'm like, this is fantastic. What are you told? Why are you so excited? It's just the pasta. No, 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 no. The sauce. What? It's red sauce. Yeah, yeah, no, no. There's little white bits. What are these little white bits chopped up in here? What? Garlic? Yes, garlic. <laughs> I never had garlic. <laughs> it was like in The Wizard of Oz when she opens the door and now the world is in color. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's like. Oh. Uh. How good for garlic to do that for you? That seems like the type of food that would do that. It is because isn't it amazing? Isn't it delicious? Isn't it just like roasted garlic in the oven and then you and then it gets, you know, all the, the, the harshness comes out and it's just this kind of sweet, beautiful, one of a kind flavor. Ah, it is the best. So now, Phil, I, I want to get into our history a little bit. I met you probably, I don't know, was it four years ago? I think I was at a coffee shop with my friend Avidan, and I saw yeah. you, and yes. I was like, oh, my God, that's Phil Rosenthal. And we started, we, we started to strike up a conversation, and we, we were all foodies together, and we were yeah. like, let's go out, let's, let's go get lunch sometime. And we started to go out to lunch together, and yes. we just loved to eat with each other, and I... I, I bet a lot of people watch your show and they're like, oh, it's Phil Rosenthal. He probably just walked into a network and was like, I want a show. Give me a show. And they're like, here's your show. That is not the way that it happened for you. I remember you were struggling back then to try to get anyone to put you on the air. Do you remember this? Like there was, there was an, of course American, it was 10 years. There was like an American express food thing you were going to yes. do with Thomas Keller or something. Yes. And then yes, that didn't work out. out. Yes. Well, it didn't work out because they only wanted, uh, I thought here they were financing what's going to be a pilot for a show, but it wasn't. It was, they were financing a week in London with Thomas Keller and me so that they could sell tickets to their platinum card holders for an event. Then they would show clips of our trip from the, I never saw such a wasteful thing, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, they spent, they must've spent, you know, a fortune. To, to get a few film clips for 300 people at, at a fancy event. I didn't understand it. But here's what happened. I took some of those clips and I took them around town and I took them to every single network. And finally, my, my agency let me take them to PBS, which was the first place I wanted to go because I thought PBS maybe would do a show with me because I'm a, I'm the youngest guy who would be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're the so, young hip guy. <laughs> and of course the agency was like, well, PBS, there's no money at PBS. Why would you go there? They only care about the money. I could care less about the money. Right. 
Finally, I go to PBS and they gave me six right away. And that was fantastic. What wasn't fantastic was that I didn't know it was only going to be six. And even though we were their number one show of the year and we won the James Beard Award for Best Food and Travel Show. Well, what was your competition to PBS? It was like you guys and Holocaust documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> and I try to work in the Holocaust and whatever I'm doing. So, <laughs> um, so, so uh, here comes Netflix and Netflix then picked it up. But it was a 10-year effort to get because people, first of all, your own agency, if you walk into your agency after having done a sitcom that was successful and tell them, you know what? I think instead of a sitcom now, I'd like to do a food and travel show. They act like you pooped on their desk. It, it wasn't like that was a priority for them either. And then the networks are like, well, you're, you're not a guy who should be on. You're the writer. Go write another Raymond. I understand. But I didn't want to accept it. And I have to tell you also, Dan, it's not like I didn't try to do another sitcom right after Raymond. I couldn't sell anything. This and the shows that they wanted me to do, this was A, the reason I couldn't sell anything was because the business had changed so drastically while we were doing Raymond. The type of show Raymond was wasn't valued anymore. It would be five or six years until another family sitcom called Modern Family would come along. But they all wanted to imitate friends. They all yeah. wanted young, hip, gorgeous, sexy. And friends was kind of the exception to the rule because God doesn't usually give with both hands. The yeah. young, pretty people are usually not the funniest. The reason friends is such a hit is because these kids were. You are very hip and sexy for PBS. I don't, I don't even think, I don't even think there, but I loved what I was doing and I couldn't, honestly, to be fair, I couldn't do the kinds of shows that the networks wanted me to do. So I, I, it wasn't for lack of trying. I wrote three or four or five pilots, tried to get them to go. Nope. Nobody wanted. Maybe they were not as good. That's also possible. And it might be my own shortcomings, but I thought if you're going to hit your head against the wall, trying to sell stuff, you may as well pick a wall you really, really love. So I remember we did this episode of Raymond where we went to Italy in, in the Raymond show. Mm -hmm. And when Ray Romano, when I saw Ray Romano, who had never traveled before, and it was all impetus for doing that episode was he, I asked him where he was going to go on this hiatus. And he said, oh, I go to the Jersey shore. And I said, do you ever go to Europe? And he goes, no. I said, why not? And he goes, well, I'm not really interested in other cultures, even his own culture. And so I thought, I'm going to write that episode. We're going to go to Italy and you're going to go there with that attitude of not wanting or not being interested in culture. And you're going to come back after Italy has transformed you with my attitude of being wow. very excited about it and loving it and falling in love with it. The food, the people, the culture, the beauty. So we go, we film that episode, special one hour. And what happened to the character that I wrote, that character arc, I saw happen to Ray, the person mm. he got woke. Wow. And that like, I went, holy shit. I want to do this for people. I want to do this is no greater high than turning people onto something you love. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the year we filmed that 20 years ago, the year 2000. And since then I've wanted to do this show. Yeah. I got it. I mean, that is, that is so inspirational. I mean, this is so, it's so crazy to me to hear that 
literally someone who was a okay there's two things that are crazy for me to hear here number one to have a hit show on on a network uh, like one of the biggest hits ever if not the biggest hit ever and then to not be able to sell a show after that the blow to most people's ego would be too much to even try to stay in the business let alone to pivot into a complete other part of the industry the food host world which you had you had zero experience in and you just kept believing in yourself and you basically had to go from the ground floor put your ego to the side of having literally the most popular comedy show of all time <laughs> worldwide i don't know then- that's but it was it certainly was successful and to to not be able to do it again was depressing. I won't lie to you. Mm. It was sad not to be able to. And of course you start doubting yourself. Of course you do. Anybody would. Maybe I'm a one hit wonder. Maybe I can't do it again. Especially if you get rejected. I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to the everything happens for a reason, but do you think that it was all to get you to this place, to have this show? This show is, you're having a zeitgeist moment, it seems. I'm so lucky, right? I, I, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy you'll ever talk to on your show. I promise you that. Because I, you know, I studied theater in college and I thought, you know, I, I, I got a lot of attention for being funny on stage in plays, not as a stand-up, but I was a character actor and I was, I was somewhat successful in high school and college. And I made the mistake of thinking that it would be that easy when I went moved to New York. <laughs> Guess yeah. what? New York didn't care if I was funny in college. <laughs> so then I had to transition into writing, to write something with my friends that we could be in together, right? You, mm. it, it's, it's always the same thing. You've got to write your own ticket. Absolutely. So we literally wrote our own ticket. And I wrote a screenplay with another friend. And these things are sometimes life presents you with what you're supposed to be. So I guess I'm supposed to be a writer. And then I moved out to Hollywood. And then I started writing on shows that you never heard of. And then I got a video cassette of a comedian named Ray Romano who needed a show created for him, right? Yeah. And then there was that. And that, you know, just to get the pilot made is a, is a, is a hitting the jackpot for people. Yeah. And every single thing that happened after that was like hitting the jackpot over and over and over again. Yeah. So listen, how many things do you have to be remembered for, right? If I just had that, Dianu. Dianu. <laughs> Fine. And people said to me, why are you trying so hard to get another show? Uh, one studio executive said to me, why are you pitching to me? If I was you, I would just sit on a mountaintop. And I'm like, what? So I, I was, I was, how old was I when Raymond ended? 45? Mm-hmm. I should, I should have 45. I should retire and never work again. I want to, this is what I do. Why do you yeah. do what you do? What do you mean? It was almost insulting yeah. that I should stop. This is what I do. This is how I define my, this is what. Why I get a big, by the way, I don't know about this, this uh, studio guy, but I happen to love doing it. Yeah. So I was going to do it. I was going to do it by hook or by crook. And I was going to do a show. It just so happened that I now do a show where I've taken everything I've learned about how to make a show, how mm-hmm. to tell a story, right? Because I have a lot of experience doing that. But it's in the service now of everything I love in life. Yes. 
family, friends, food, travel, laughs. That's the show. It's so perfect. in a way, this show is the culmination of my stupid existence on the earth. You know what? I, I, I am, I'm with you because the show definitely has a struct. It has like a, like an act structure to it. Like you're, like you're watching a right. TV show. Exactly right. No, you're smart. Structure is something that can be taught, right? Yeah. Being funny, not necessarily. You can, right. you can learn to be funnier, but if you don't have a sense of humor, you're, you're, this isn't for you. Yeah. So, and that's a lot of life, by the way, if you don't have a sense of humor, <laughs> I think it's our most underrated value. Yeah, I think, totally. I think it, that's the basis for who we're friends with. And I'll, I'll even say it's who we marry. But the structure, beginning, middle, end is what that means, right? Yeah. That's what you can be taught. And that makes every form of art stronger, a good Absolutely. structure, Absolutely. a good structure. It's like building a building. You got to have the beams, got to have the foundation. Totally. Right? Everything else is, is, Yes, it has to be eye-catching. It has to be beautiful. It has to be funny. It has to be well, in making a show. Uh, but if you don't have a strong foundation, like and and for for shows, the, that foundation is what is this about? Mm-hmm. And then how do you service that? What is it about? What what points are you hitting along the way? How are you showing us that that's what it's about? Yeah, good beginning, middle, and end. So I'm using certain sitcom tropes even. In the show, what's that? It's character-based comedy. You know who I am. Yeah. You know, the way I sold the show, I said, I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. Oh, really? That's how you sold it? Yeah. That's, the, it. that's how I sold the show. That way, people would know where I was coming from, the tone of the show, what it was going to be like. Uh, it's a pretty apt uh, description. Now, as we go on, I get a tiny bit braver but I'm still not doing what he was able to do. He was a superhero. Yeah. And people yeah. can tell by looking at me that I am not. I'm well, not even a chef. And here's the thing, though, and this is what I tell a lot of people, is that after Bourdain died, everyone was trying to, to, to be the next Bourdain. And I, I heard this at, at, in meetings with networks. They were like, we want someone to be the next Bourdain, the next Bourdain, that's what we're looking for. And I, was, I kept saying, no one can be the next Bourdain because no one can fill Bourdain's shoes. He was Bourdain. Someone has to do something different. And I think the reason why you've successfully, I'm not even going to say filled his shoes because I think you're doing something completely different. But the thing that made Bourdain so great was he was so authentically him. He wasn't fake on camera. He was the things he loved, he loved the things he hated, he hated. And you're doing that too. You are being so authentically you that you can't, it's something that, that can't be faked. You're so authentic. People see it. We feel it. And I think that it started, it it itches the same scratch that, that Bourdain was itching. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I can't help it. That's a, and, and, you know, we overlapped our time a, a little bit. Yeah, it was devastating to lose him because you know my show is really only a take on the type of show that he did. It's Absolutely. based on his show. I dedicate the whole series to him yeah. because he pioneered an, a, a form and reinvented a form of food and travel. Right? Yeah. And I thought, literally, thought of him when coming up with the show because I would look at him and go. He's amazing. I'm never doing that. 
but maybe there's a show for people who are like me, who look at him and say, wow, he's amazing. I'm never doing that. Exactly. But if they see a putz like me out there, maybe they'll say, okay, maybe I'll go outside. <laughs> you got to know when to stay in your lane. That's the key. You stay in your lane, but also, you know, Americans, especially two thirds of us don't even have a passport. Did you know that? Wow. So don't you think the world would be a little better if they, if they did? Absolutely. Don't you think the world would be better if we all could experience a tiny bit of someone else's experience? Yeah. We maybe wouldn't be in the position we are today if people, you know, were a little more open to other people and other cultures and things that are not exactly like them. One of the great ways to get you there is through the food because we all got to eat and we all like to eat. And by the way, you don't have to go very far. Your Mexico City and your Montreal episodes are two of my favorites. And that is oh. very close to, to where we are now. Oh, yeah. Well, Mexico, you, you can be in Mexico from California. You can be there in, uh, what, an hour and a half, two hours? Yeah. yeah. And Montreal is not that Montreal is an York. hour from New York. An <laughs> hour flight. And you, it's like going to Europe, right? I've always said Montreal is my favorite food city in North America, I think. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I, I was blown away. I will say LA is exploding on the food scene and it's like an uncontrollable expansion of how good it's getting. It's because of that diversity, even more than New York. I would say it's the best food city in the country, if not the world. Wow. At the moment. Yes. I'm, Just because yeah. the world is here. It's true. It's true. All right, Phil, I'm going to get to these questions that I ask all of my guests at the oh. end of every at, towards the, the midpoint. The midpoint. We're going to tell it like a story. Nice. So number one is what is your earliest food memory? It's not nice. It's, oh, no. It, it's this bad kind of gray, chewy steak. I thought steak, I really thought steak was horrible because we would get our cuisine in our house was cheap, right? Whatever was Whatever's on sale, that's what we got. And, and it's not my mom's fault. She worked a full-time job and raised two really awful children, my brother and me. And, and my dad worked full-time. So the food was kind of an afterthought, and we didn't have a lot of money. So steak was this gray, tough thing that actually, I remember, hurt. it's hurting my cheeks. It's hurting my jaws because I hardly wanted to eat any of this stuff. I was told you're not leaving the table until you finish. So I would store it in my cheeks and it looked like I was finished. And then I'd start finished and I would go to the bathroom, spit it out. Ay, ay, ay. That's my that's, earliest food memory. That's the saddest early food memory we've had on the podcast. <laughs> yes, but you got to start somewhere, right? Better <laughs> yeah. to start there than end there. Absolutely. What is your death row meal? Ah, I get this a lot and I've given it a lot of thought. And I actually say this in the London episode, too, if you saw that. Childhood favorites on that plate. Mm. Hot dogs, pizza, hamburgers, fried chicken, ice cream. And it's because you're about to die. So you come full circle to comfort food. And I'd probably end with a bowl of my mom, the one thing my mom makes very well. Uh, matzo ball soup. That would be the last, the last sip. Something from your mom. I wouldn't be bad at a matzo ball soup before you get the... Uh, Why not? Off. You want to be... Listen, you're going to die. Yeah. And you want to be comforted. Could I have a meal from the French Laundry? Yeah. Would it be amazing? Yeah. But it would be an empty experience because yeah. you don't have a 
personal connection unless you grew up in the French Laundry. Right, unless you're Thomas Keller's kid. <laughs> you know, it's that beautiful, speaking of Thomas Keller, and these moments, that moment in Ratatouille, he was a consultant on the movie Ratatouille. He even makes the Ratatouille that is then uh, rotoscoped and made into animated Ratatouille. Right, yeah. But when that critic takes that bite and is bang, transported back to being a child, that's everything. Waterworks. Waterworks. But that's everything. That's, that's more, that transcends food, that moment. That's the feeling that we chase the rest of our lives in whatever we do. Absolutely. Speaking of Thomas Keller and his ilk, what is the best high-end meal that you've ever had? Well, that's certainly one of them. Uh, again, stupidly lucky life. I've had a few. Yeah. You know, I've got, I got to eat at El Bouilly. I got to eat at uh, Alinea. I got to eat at the French Laundry and per se. I got to eat at uh, Narasawa in Tokyo and Gagan in Thailand. And Wow. And Austria Franciscana. And Francescana. They're all amazing. There's a place in Barcelona now called Disfrutar that I recommend, Ooh. which means enjoy in Spanish. That's one of the top high-end meals I ever had. There, there's a lot of them, and I can't say I love them more than a hot dog that's really good or a, or a slice <laughs> or a great piece of pizza. I really can't. I, I, I understand them. I get it. But I'll tell you something. You ever been stuck in a bad one? A bad oh. four-hour white table oh my God. dinner? Yes, I have. As fancy as it is and everything is nice, and thick, but you can, I, it's like I can't anymore. I would rather have a slice of pizza with you than sit there for four hours. My back hurts. I can't, you know. Uh, it's the worst. It's probably, it's the, yeah, one is if the food isn't good. Two is like I went to one and I was fighting with my ex. <laughs> That's not during a four-hour, like That's we were like, at Muguritz in San Sebastian, it was oh, no good, no bueno, no um, bueno. Well, speaking of the pizza that could hold a candle to those things, what is the best low-end meal you've ever had? So this could be like a street food, like just a bite of street food that you had in Thailand, or something, you know, just a. Well, since you mentioned Thailand, the the, the cow soy in Chiang Mai. Did you see that episode? Yes, I did. I did. It's a shack on the side of the road in Chiang Mai. And it's this coconut curry broth with beautiful homemade noodles at the bottom, like, like the best pasta you ever had. And then there's pickled shallots and mustard greens and chilies. So it's kind of like incredibly uh, balanced and spicy. And then either chicken or beef or pork or tofu or shrimp or crab, whatever meat they, you want in there, they do. And then crispy noodles on top. So it's ticking all the boxes for flavor, texture. It's one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten in my life. And it's a dollar. Unbelievable. <laughs> so crazy. There was one thing that you had in the Vietnam episode, I believe, which was the, it was like a ground meat that was rolled around in some sort of leaf. Oh yeah, that was beautiful. Yes. That yes. So cool. Oh, that yeah. to me, I was like, I need to get to that. That's, I need to go there tomorrow. Uh, Bali Lat. Bali Lat. Was that it? I think, I think so. I know it, ha- it has a lot in it because we made a joke. I did a lot of this Bali Lat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lived here. Um, 
Yeah, uh, uh, Vietnam has incredible food. Thailand has incredible food. Asia, that's a whole, a yeah. whole other thing. It's Korea, you saw? Did you get to see that one? Where it went? To Seoul? No, I haven't seen it yet. Spectacular but, food. As an Iranian, I'm curious if that if it has that made it on the list, or is that on the on a list of possible? I can't wait. Countries? I can't wait to go. I love Persian food. I love I love uh, the people. I love. I I really and in LA we have some great ones. Where's your favorite? Where should I go? There's a place that I love called Atari, like Atari, like the the game. Yeah. That on Fridays they do a special, which is called Abgusht, which is kind of a it's kind of a mortar and pestle mashup of beef and beans and broth, and then this amazing bread called Sangak, which is cooked on little rocks. Yes, thin and beautiful. Yes. And it's a very like Persian old man food that's kind of very hard to find, but they do a Friday special of it. And you go there, you see like all the old Persian men hanging out playing backgammon and eating this stuff. Can I get it to go? Probably, yeah. Do you, uh, do you have a favorite drunk food? I don't get drunk, really. Yeah, I mean, you I, don't I, seem to be a huge drunk. I like to, I like to have a drink. Yeah. It's very rare that I'll have two drinks in an evening. But maybe what you mean is like a sloppy food, like something that you just don't care. Like just, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a French fry addict. If you told me you would live 10 years longer if you didn't eat French fries, because French fries are known to be the worst food for a person. I would say, nope, nope, because they would be 10 years without French fry. Where's your favorite French fry? I have a lot. I have a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, the, the low end would be... Uh, Hi ho burgers. Oh yeah, that's the uh, the sugarfish guy's uh, burger joint. Yeah, and and they are spectacular, and they travel well because they invented a perforated bag for the fry, so it doesn't steam inside yes. the bag and ruin yes. it. So you get them hot and crispy. Why isn't everybody doing this? I, I don't. I don't. You're yelling at me like I like it's my policy, Phil. <laughs> I blame you. And and uh, so that's great. The fries at Republic are awesome. The fries at Connie and Ted's are awesome. Mm. Uh, I'll bet there's more that I can't think of. I love the big, thick ones at Peter Luger's. I think those are awesome. Oh, I yeah. Uh, yeah, the the world is filled with good filled with good fries. You ever been to Belgium and you go down uh, on the street in 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 uh, Brussels and they have cones and the frites they call them are sticking out. They make them. They just keep making. There's these you know, windows where you just pass by and they give you the dipping sauces, like mostly mayonnaise, a lot of them are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You, you can eat them plain. Wow, they're good. Did you hear that during this epidemic, uh, the Belgian government was like, hey, we're not, we need to get rid of all these potatoes that we have in stockpile here. So everyone has to start eating more French fries. <laughs> I was like, right. I want to become a citizen. I want to just, just to do that. I, this might you might have just answered this next question with the French fries, but what is your desert island food? You're trapped on a desert island. You'll never get tired of eating something. It is that I think it's French fries, chocolate, pizza. Yeah, all the things I mentioned as my death row meal. I will never get tired of eating. Yeah, and is there a food that you can't stand eating? Is there something that you hate? Yes, I'm not a good. I'm not good with black licorice. Okay, okay, that's not a flavor I love. That's acceptable. It's a weird flavor. What about like anise in general? Like, are you? Yeah, like, yeah. It's that. It's, and the thing that reminds you of black licorice is not my favorite. Yeah. Interesting. I actually went to a dinner once. I was asked to attend a dinner. They were doing this series. Tell us the food you don't like. So I told them. 
They said, now come to dinner and we're going to change your mind. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so this is going to be a dinner filled with this thing I hate. And they found a way. Yeah, it would, It's a little bit of cheating because you know why I like this dish so much? Because it doesn't taste like black licorice. You found a way to make it not taste like that. So yes, if this is black licorice, okay, now I like black Right. <laughs> You know, mine is, I, you might have a bone to pick with my, my food that I can't stand. And I don't know why this is because I love funky flavors. I can't get down with pickled herring. Oh, uh, you're wrong. I, I, <laughs> I've tried it. So I, get, I keep giving it another shot. There's something about the sweetness with fish. Yes. That, that I just, and I it's tried totally. it in Copenhagen. I tried it in all the places. You've tried it everywhere. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. You've it tried just, it in Israel? No, I did not try it in Israel. There's a place in, a, in, a, in an open market in Tel Aviv. It's in the show, Sherry Herring. Yes. It has the lightest, most beautiful taste. It doesn't, ta- it doesn't have that vinegary sweetness that you're talking about. Mm. And it's on a sandwich. And I think there's some kind of creme fraiche or something on there and onions. But without that thing that I think is the thing you don't like. Okay. What is your restaurant pet peeve, Phil Rosenthal? What can't you stand in a restaurant? Very easy. Too loud. Too loud. If it's too loud, I'm out. Interesting. I, yeah, I can't, I, why am I going? I'm going, yes, I'm going for the food. But if you're going with a person, I want to talk to you. I want to hear what you're saying. I can't even hear myself think in some of these places. And I found out why they're so loud. Do you know the number one reason why a restaurant is loud? Why they crank it up? No. Is it to get you out of there quicker? Yes. Very, really? very smart, but also very cynical, isn't it? Oh, that's awful. It is awful. That is, I hate yeah. that. It's the yeah. opposite of what it should be. Great restaurant should be welcoming, warm, cozy, beautiful, inviting, stay, make this your evening. You're spending money, you know, sit with your coffee, sip. We love having you. Cranking up the music oh. to jackhammer is not we love you. It's we love your money. Eat and get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the sound has to be soft enough where you can hear each other, but loud enough where if you let out a rare big laugh, it doesn't stop the room. Absolutely. And there's a little, there's the, the, the well-balanced ones are, uh, have uh, atmosphere. Absolutely. And you're kind of like, you, you, you're kind of grooving on it without even knowing it. Right? Absolutely. It's a good time. I'm talking about so loud that it's offensive. I'm one of those, everyone, leave your phones in the car. Let's go in and have dinner, people. I understand that you need your phone. We're we're part human and part phone now. I get it. I'm addicted also. Uh, The whole world is there and we've made it indispensable. Yeah. Right? Because now, now you can't shut it off because. If my wife needs me, what do you mean you shut your phone off? You never shut your phone off, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I will let you get back to your phone addiction uh, after this last question. I'm ready. Which, which is, what is the first restaurant that you will go to after quarantine? It might be the diner down the street. It might be because I've thought about this too. Yeah, I'd love to get on a jet and go to Italy. That would be great. But what I really want is a return to normalcy. I want to go to my local coffee shop and see my neighbors. I want to go to my local diner and have some eggs and just feel like the world is right again. That will mean more to me. 
than anything. I love, I love it. Oh, amen to that. Well, you guys know where to find Phil the day that quarantine is up. If you want to stalk him, he'll be at that diner. Phil, anything else you want to tell the people where they can find you, what they should be looking out for? I'm Phil.Rosenthal on the Instagram. I'm Phil Rosenthal on the Twitter. I've got a YouTube channel, Phil Rosenthal World. I've got a website if you want to find out every single place that I eat in on the show. The address, the website for every place we go is on philrosenthalworld.com. I love that. I'm even on the Facebook. I'm in your living room. (laughs) Watch my little show. Get inspired. Be nice. Leave a good tip. That's it. That's it. I love it. Phil, thank you so, so much for uh, giving us so much time. You're the best. And everyone, you got to watch the show. It's lit- It's my favorite food show on TV right now. It's, Thanks. It's really, it's really a good special I'll, show. Dan, when this is over, we're going to go eat, right? Sounds good. You know it, Phil. I will see you soon. This episode of Green Eggs and Dan was produced by Andrew Steven. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music is Beautiful Food by Idan, and interstitial music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.